Act Three of The Double Dealer by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One Lord Touchwood and Lady Touchwood. My lord, can you blame my brother Pliant if he refuse his daughter upon this provocation? The contract's void by this unheard-of impiety. I don't believe it true. He has better principles. Pah, tis nonsense. Come, come. I know my lady Pliant has a large eye, and would centre everything in her own circle. Tis not the first time she has mistaken respect for love and made sir paul jealous of the civility of an undesigning person the better to beseek his security in her unfeigned pleasures you censor hardly my lord my sister's honour is very well known yes i believe i know some that have been familiarly acquainted with it this is a little trick wrought by some pitiful contriver envious of my nephew's merit nay my lord it may be so and i hope it will be found so but that will require some time for in such a case as this demonstration is necessary there should have been demonstration to the contrary too before it had been believed so i suppose there was how where when that i can't tell nay i don't say there was I am willing to believe as favourably of my nephew as I can. Lord Touchwood, half aside. I don't know that. How? Don't you believe that, say you, my lord? No, I don't say so. I confess I am troubled to find you so cold in his defence. His defence? Bless me, would you have me defend an ill thing? You believe it, then? I don't know. I am very unwilling to speak my thoughts in anything that may be to my cousin's disadvantage. Besides, I find, my lord, you are prepared to receive an ill impression from any opinion of mine which is not consenting with your own. But, since I am like to be suspected in the end, and tis a pain any longer to dissemble, I own it to you. In short, I do believe it nay and can believe anything worse if it were laid to his charge don't ask me my reasons my lord for they are not fit to be told you lord touchwood aside i am amazed there must be something more than ordinary in this not fit to be told me madam you can have no interest wherein i am not concerned and consequently the same reason ought to be convincing to me which create your satisfaction or disquiet but those which cause my disquiet i am willing to have removed from your hearing good my lord don't press me don't oblige me to press you whatever it was tis past and that is better to be unknown which cannot be prevented therefore let me beg you to rest satisfied when you have told me i will you won't by my life dear i will what if you can't how then i must know nay i will no more trifling i charge you tell me 
by all our mutual peace to come upon your duty nay my lord you need say no more to make me lay my heart before you but don't be thus transported compose yourself it is not of concern to make you lose one minute's temper tis not indeed my dear nay by this kiss you shan't be angry oh lord i wish i had not told you anything indeed my lord you have frighted me nay look pleased i'll tell you well well nay but will you be calm indeed it's nothing but but what but will you promise me not to be angry nay you must not to be angry with Melifont. i dare swear he's sorry and were it to do again would not sorry for what death you rack me with delay nay no great matter only well i have your promise for why nothing only your nephew had a mind to amuse himself sometimes with a little gallantry towards me nay i can't think he meant anything seriously but methought it looked oddly confusion at hell what do i hear or maybe he thought he was not enough akin to me upon your account and had a mind to create a nearer relation on his own a lover you know my lord <laughs> well but that's all now you have it well remember your promise my lord and don't take any notice of it to him no 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 damnation nay i swear you must not a little harmless mirth only misplaced that's all but if it were more tis over now and all's well for my part i have forgot it and so has he i hope for i have not heard anything from him these two days these two days is it so fresh a natural villain death i'll have him stripped and turned naked out of my doors this moment and let him rot and perish incestuous brute oh for heaven's sake my lord you'll ruin me if you take such public notice of it it will be a town talk consider your own and my honour nay i told you you would not be satisfied when you knew it before i've done i will be satisfied ungrateful monster how long lord i don't know i wish my lips had grown together when i told you almost a twelvemonth nay i won't tell you any more till you are yourself pray my lord don't let the company see you in this disorder yet i confess i can't blame you for i think i was never so surprised in my life who would have thought my nephew could have so misconstrued my kindness but will you go into your closet and recover your temper i'll make an excuse of sudden business to the company and come to you pray good dear my lord let me beg you do now i'll come immediately and tell you all will you my lord i will i am mute with wonder well but go now here's somebody coming well i go you won't stay for i would hear more of this i follow instantly so scene two lady touchwood maskwell this was a masterpiece and did not need my help 
though i stood ready for a cue to come in and confirm all had there been occasion have you seen mellifont i have and am to meet him here about this time how does he bear his disappointment secure in my assistance he seemed not much affected but rather laughed at the shallow artifice which so little time must of necessity discover yet he is apprehensive of some farther design of yours and has engaged me to watch you i believe he will hardly be able to prevent your plot yet i would have you use caution and expedition expedition indeed for all we do must be performed in the remaining part of this evening and before the company break up lest my lord should call and have an opportunity to talk with him privately my lord must not see him again by no means therefore you must aggravate my lord's displeasure to a degree that will admit of no conference with him what think you of mentioning me how to my lord as having been privy to mellifont's design upon you but still using my utmost endeavours to dissuade him though my friendship and love to him has made me conceal it yet you may say i threatened the next time he attempted anything of that kind to discover it to my lord to what end is this it will confirm my lord's opinion of my honour and honesty and create in him a new confidence in me which should this design miscarry will be necessary to the forming another plot that i have in my head aside to cheat you as well as the rest i'll do it i'll tell him you hindered him once from forcing me excellent your ladyship has a most improving fancy you had best go to my lord keep him as long as you can in his closet and i doubt not that you will mould him to what you please your guests are so engaged in their own follies and intrigues they'll miss neither of you when shall we meet at eight this evening in my chamber there rejoices our success and toy away an hour in mirth i will not fail scene three maskwell alone i know what she means by toying away an hour well enough pox i have lost all appetite to her yet she's a fine woman and i loved her once but i don't know since i have been in a great measure kept by her the case is altered what was once pleasure is become my duty and i have as little stomach to her now as if i were her husband should she smoke my design upon cynthia i were in a fine pickle she has a damned penetrating head 
and knows how to interpret a coldness the right way therefore i must dissemble ardour and ecstasy that's resolved how easily and pleasantly is that dissemble before fruition pox on it that a man can't drink without quenching his thirst ha yonder comes mellifont thoughtful let me think meet her at eight hmm hmm by heaven i have it if i can speak to my lord before was it my brain or providence no matter which i will deceive em all and yet secure myself twas a lucky thought well this double dealing is a duel here he comes now for me maskwell pretending not to see him walks by him and speaks as it were to himself scene four to him mellifont musing mercy on us what will the wickedness of this world come to oh no jack what so full of contemplation that you run over i'm glad you're come for i could not contain myself any longer and was just going to give vent to a secret which nobody but you ought to drink down your aunt's just gone from hence and having trusted thee with the secrets of her soul thou art villainously bent to discover em all to me <laughs> i am afraid my frailty leans that way but i don't know whether i can in honour discover em all 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 men what you may in honour betray her as far as she betrays herself no tragical design upon my person i hope no but it's a comical design upon mine what dost thou mean listen and be dumb we have been bargaining about the rate of your ruin like any two guardians to an orphan heiress well and whereas pleasure is generally paid with mischief what mischief i do is to be paid with pleasure so when you've swallowed the potion you sweeten your mouth with a plum you are merry sir but i shall probe your constitution in short the price of your banishment is to be paid with the person of of cynthia and her fortune why you forgot you told me this before no no so far you are right and i am as an earnest of that bargain to have full and free possession of the person of your aunt <coughs> foe you trifle by this light i'm serious all raillery apart i knew twould stun you this evening at eight she will receive me in her bedchamber hell and the devil is she abandoned of all grace why the woman is possessed well will you go in my stead by heaven into a hot furnace sooner no you would not it would not be so convenient as i can order matters what do you mean mean not to disappoint the lady i assure you <laughs> how gravely he looks come come i won't perplex you 
"'Tis the only thing that Providence could have contrived to make me capable of serving you, either to my inclination or your own necessity. How, how, for heaven's sake, dear Marskwell! Why thus? I'll go according to appointment. You shall have notice at the critical minute to come and surprise your aunt and me together.' counterfeit a rage against me and i'll make my escape through the private passage from her chamber which i'll take care to leave open twill be hard if then you can't bring her to any conditions for this discovery will disarm her of all defence and leave her entirely at your mercy nay she must ever after be in awe of you let me adore thee my better genius by heaven i think it is not in the power of fate to disappoint my hopes my hopes my certainty well i'll meet you here within a quarter of eight and give you notice good fortune ever go along with thee scene five mellifont careless mellifont Get out of the way, my lady pliant's coming, and I shall never succeed while thou art in sight, though she begins to tack about. But I made love a great while to no purpose. Why, what's the matter? She's convinced that I don't care for her. I can't get an answer from her that does not begin with her honour, or her virtue, her religion, or some such cant. Then she has told me the whole history of Sir Paul's nine years' courtship, how he has lain for whole nights together upon the stairs before a chamber door, and that the first favour he received from her was a piece of an old scarlet petticoat for a stomacher, which, since the day of his marriage, he has out of a piece of gallantry converted into a nightcap, and wears it still with much solemnity on his anniversary wedding night. That I have seen with the ceremony thereunto belonging for on that night he creeps in at the bed's feet like a gold basser that has married a relation of the grand seigneur and that night he has his arms at liberty did not she tell you at what a distance she keeps him he has confessed to me that but at some certain times that is i suppose when she apprehends being with child he never has the privilege of using the familiarity of a husband with a wife. He was once given to scrambling with his hands and sprawling in his sleep, and ever since she has him swaddled up in blankets and his hands and feet swathed down and so put to bed, and there he lies with a great beard like a Russian bear upon a drift of snow. You are very great with him. I wonder he never told you his grievances. He will, I warrant you. Excessively foolish. But that which gives me most hopes of her is her telling me of the many temptations she has resisted. Nay, then you have her, for a woman's bragging to a man that she has overcome temptations is an argument that they were weakly offered, and a challenge to him to engage her more irresistibly. It is only an enhancing of the price of the commodity by telling you how many customers have underbid her nay i don't despair but still she has a grudging to you 
I talked to her the other night at my Lord Froth's masquerade, when I am satisfied she knew me, and I had no reason to complain of my reception. But I find women are not the same barefaced and in masks, and a visor disguises their inclinations as much as their faces. "'Tis a mistake, for women may most properly be said to be unmasked when they wear visors, for that secures them from blushing and being out of countenance, and next to being in the dark or alone, they are most truly themselves in a visor mask. Here they come. I'll leave you. Ply her close, and by and by clap a billet doux into her hand. For a woman never thinks a man truly in love with her till he has been fool enough to think of her out of her sight, and to lose so much time as to write to her. Scene six. Careless, Sir Paul, and Lady Pliant. Shan't we disturb your meditation, Mr. Careless? You would be private. You bring that along with you, Sir Paul, that shall be always welcome to my privacy. Oh, sweet sir, you load your humble servants, both me and my wife, with continual favours. Sir Paul, what a phrase was there! You will be making answers and taking that upon you which ought to lie upon me. That you should have so little breeding to think Mr. Careless did not apply himself to me. Pray, what have you to entertain anybody's privacy? I swear and declare in the face of the world, I'm ready to blush for your ignorance. Sir Paul, aside to her. I acquiesce, my lady. But... Don't snub so loud. Mr. Careless, if a person that is wholly illiterate might be supposed to be capable of being qualified to make a suitable return to those obligations which you are pleased to confer upon one that is wholly incapable of being qualified in all those circumstances, I'm sure I should rather attempt it than anything in the world. Courtesies for I'm sure there's nothing in the world that I would rather. Courtesies. But I know Mr. Careless is so great a critic and so fine a gentleman that it is impossible for me. Oh, heavens, madam, you confound me. Gad's bud, she's a fine person. Oh, Lord, sir, pardon me. We women have not those advantages. I know my imperfections, but at the same time you must give me leave to declare in the face of the world that nobody is more sensible of favours and things. For with the reserve of my honour, I assure you, Mr. Careless, I don't know anything in the world I would refuse to a person so meritorious. You'll pardon my want of expression. Oh, your ladyship is abounding in all excellence, particularly that of phrase. You are so obliging, sir. Your ladyship is so charming. So, now, 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 my lady. So well-bred. So surprising. So well-dressed, so bonne mine, so eloquent, so unaffected, so easy, so free, so particular, so agreeable. 
so, so there. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, madam, don't. So gay, so graceful, so good teeth, so fine shape, so fine limbs, so fine linen. And I don't doubt but you have a very good skin, sir. For heaven's sake, madam, I'm quite out of countenance. And my lady's quite out of breath or else you should hear gad's bud you may talk of my lady froth oh fie fie not to be named of a day my lady froth is very well in her accomplishments but it is when my lady plind is not thought of if that can ever be oh you overcome me that is so excessive nay i swear and vow that was pretty oh sir paul you are the happiest man alive such a lady that is the envy of her own sex and the admiration of ours your humble servant i am i thank heaven in a fine way of living as i may say peacefully and happily and i think need not envy any of my neighbours blessed be providence ay truly mr careless my lady is a great blessing a fine discreet well-spoken woman as you shall see if it becomes me to say so and we live very comfortably together she is a little hasty sometimes and so am i but mine's soon over and then i'm so sorry oh mr careless if it were not for one thing. Scene 7. Careless, Sir Paul, Lady Pliant, Boy with a Letter. How often have you been told of that, you jackanapes? Gad's soul, Gad's bud. Tim, carry it to my lady. You should have carried it to my lady first. Tis directed to your worship. Well, well, my lady reads all letters first. Child, do so no more, do you hear, Tim? No, and please you. Scene 8. Careless, Sir Paul, Lady Pliant. A humour of my wife's. You know women have little fancies. But as I was telling you, Mr. Careless, if it were not for one thing i should think myself the happiest man in the world indeed that touches me near very near what can that be sir paul why i have i thank heaven a very plentiful fortune a good estate in the country some houses in town and some money a pretty tolerable personal estate and it is a great grief to me Indeed it is, Mr. Careless, that I have not a son to inherit this. Tis true I have a daughter, and a fine dutiful child she is, though I say it. Blessed be providence, I may say. For indeed, Mr. Careless, I am mightily beholden to providence, a poor unworthy sinner. 
But if I had a son, ah, that's my affliction, and my only affliction. Indeed, I cannot refrain tears when it comes in my mind. <laughs> Cries. Why, methinks that might be easily remedied. My lady is a fine, likely woman. Ah, oh, a fine, likely lady, as you shall see in a summer's day. Indeed she is, Mr. Careless, in all respects. And I should not have taken you to have been so old. Alas, that's not it, Mr. Careless. Oh, that's not it. No, no, you shoot wider the mark a mile. Indeed you do. That's not it, Mr. Careless. No, no, that's not it. No, what can be the matter, then? You'll scarcely believe me when I tell you. My lady is so nice. It's very strange, but it's true. Too true. She's so very nice that I don't believe she would touch a man for the world. At least not above once a year. I'm sure I have found it so, and, alas, what's once a year to an old man who would do good in his generation? Indeed, it's true, Mr. Careless, it breaks my heart. I am her husband, as I may say, though far unworthy of that honor. Yet I am her husband. But, alas, a day, I have no more familiarity with her person, as to that matter, than with my own mother. Uh, no, indeed. Alas, a day, this is a lamentable story. My lady must be told on't. She must efface her, Paul. Tis an injury to the world. Ah, would to heaven you would, Mr. Careless. You are mightily in her favour. I warrant you what. We must have a son some way or other. Indeed, I should be mightily bound to you if you could bring it about, Mr. Careless. Here, Sir Paul, it's from your steward. Here's a return of six hundred pounds. You may take fifty of it for the next half year. Gives him the letter. Scene nine. To them, Lord Froth, Cynthia. How does my girl? Come hither to thy father, poor lamb. Thou art melancholic. Heaven, Sir Paul, you amaze me of all the things in the world. You are never pleased but when we are all upon the broad grin. All laugh and no company. Ah, uh, then tis such a sight to see some teeth. Sure you're a great admirer of my Lady Whiffler, Mr. Sneer, and Sir Lawrence Loud, and that gang. I vow and swear she's a very merry woman. But I think she laughs a little too much. Merry? Oh, Lord, what a character that is of a woman of quality. You have been at my Lady Whiffler's upon her day, madam? Yes, my lord. Aside. I must humour this fool. Well, and how? He, 
what is your sense of the conversation oh most ridiculous a perpetual comfort of laughing without any harmony for sure my lord to laugh out of time is as disagreeable as to sing out of time or out of tune he 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 right and then my lady whiffler is so ready she always comes in three bars too soon and then what do they laugh at for you know laughing without a jest is an impertinence he as 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 dancing without a fiddle just e faith that was at my tongue's end but that cannot be properly said of them for i think they are all in good nature with the world and only laugh at one another and you must allow they all have jests in their person though they have none in their conversation true as i am a person of honour for heaven's sake let us sacrifice em to mirth a little enter boy and whispers sir paul gad so a wife a wife my lady pliant i have a word i'm busy sir paul i wonder at your impertinence sir paul harkye i'm reasoning the matter you know madam if your ladyship please we'll discourse of this in the next room aha i wish you good success i i wish you good success boy tell my lady when she has done i would speak with her below scene ten cynthia lord froth lady froth brisk then you think that episode between susan the dairymaid and our coachman is not amiss you know i may suppose the dairy in town as well as in the country incomparable let me perish uh, but then being an heroic poem had you better not call him a charioteer a charioteer sounds great besides your ladyship's coachman having a red face and you comparing him to the sun and you know the sun is called heaven's charioteer oh infinitely better i'm extremely beholden to you for the hint stay we'll read over those half a score lines again pulls out a paper let me see here you know what goes before the comparison you know reads for as the sun shines every day so of our coachman i may say i'm afraid that simile won't do in wet weather because you say the sun shines every day no for the sun it won't but it will do for the coachman for you know there's most occasion for a coach in wet weather right right that saves all then i don't say the sun shines all the day but that he peeps now and then yet he does shine all the day too you know though we don't see him right but the vulgar will never comprehend that well you shall hear let me see read for as the sun shines every day so of our coachman i may say he shows his drunken fiery face just as the sun does more or less that's right all's well all's well more or less lady froth reads and when at night his labour's done then too like heaven's charioteer the sun ay charioteer does better into the dairy he descends and there his whipping and his driving ends there he's secure from danger of a bilk his fare is paid him and he sets in milk for susan you know is thetis and so incomparable well and proper <laughs> gad 
but I have one exception to make. Uh, don't you think bilk, I know it's good rhyme, but don't you think bilk and fair too like a hackney coachman? I swear and vow I'm afraid so. And yet our Jehu was a hackney coachman when my lord took him. Was he? Well, I'm answered if Jehu was a hackney coachman. You may put that in the marginal notes, though, to prevent criticism. Only uh, mark it with a small asterism and say, Jehu was formerly a hackney coachman. I will. You'd oblige me extremely to write notes to the whole poem. With all my heart and soul, and proud of the vast honor, let me perish. He he he, my dear. Have you done? Won't you join with us? We were laughing at my lady Whiffler and Mr. Sneer. I, my dear, were you? Oh, filthy Mr. Sneer. He's a nauseous figure, a most fulsomic fop. Phew. He spent two days together in going about Covent Garden to suit the lining of his coach with his complexion. Oh, silly. Yet his aunt is as fond of him as if she had brought the ape into the world herself. Who, my lady toothless? Oh, she's a mortifying spectacle. She's always chewing the cud like an old ewe. Fie, Mr. Brisk. Erin goes for her cough. I have seen her take him half-chewed out of her mouth to laugh and then put him in again. <sighs> Foe. Then she's always ready to laugh when Sneer offers to speak, and sits in expectation of his no jest with her gums bare and her mouth open. Like an oyster at low ebb, egad, ha ha ha! Cynthia aside. Well, I find there are no fools so inconsiderable in themselves, but they can render other people contemptible by exposing their infirmities. Then there's that t'other great strapping lady. I can't hit of her name. The old fat fool that paints so exorbitantly. Well, I know who you mean, but deuce take me. I can't hit of her name neither. A paints, do you say? Uh, Why, well, she lays it on with a trowel. Then she has a great beard that bristles through it and makes her look as if she were plastered with lime and hair. Let me perish. Oh, you made a song upon her, Mr. Brisk. He, he can't, so I did. My lord can sing it. Oh, good, my lord. Let's hear it. "'Tis not a song, neither. It's a sort of an uh, epigram, or rather an uh, epigrammic sonnet. I don't know what to call it, but it's satire. Sing it, my lord. "'Ancient Phyllis has young graces. Tis a strange thing, but a true one. Shall I tell you how?' She herself makes her own faces, and each morning wears a new one. Where's the wonder now? Short, but there's salt in it. My way of writing, he gad. <laughs> Scene 11. To them, footman. How now? Your ladyship's chair is come. Is nurse and the child in it? Yes, madam. Oh, the dear creature. Let's go see it. I swear, my dear, you'll spoil that child with sending it to and fro again so often. This is the seventh time the chair has gone for her today. Oh, law, I swear it's but the sixth, and I haven't seen her these two hours. The poor creature. 
I swear, my lord, you don't love poor little Sappho. Come, my dear Cynthia, Mr. Brisk, we'll go see Sappho, though my lord won't. I'll wait upon your ladyship. Pray, madam, how old is Lady Sappho? Three quarters, but I swear she has a world of wit and can sing a tune already. My lord, won't you go? Won't you? What, not to see Saff? Pray, my lord, come see little Saff. I knew you could not stay. Scene 12. Cynthia Alone. Tis not so hard to counterfeit joy in the depth of affliction as to dissemble mirth in a company of fools. Why should I call them fools? The world thinks better of them, for these have quality and education, wit and fine conversation, are received and admired by the world. If not, they like and admire themselves. And why is not that true wisdom? For tis happiness, and for I ought to know. For we have misapplied the name all this while, and mistaken the thing, since, if happiness and self-content is placed, the wise are wretched and fools only blessed. End of Act Three